Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the former Chelsea defender Scott Minto and TalkSport's chief football correspondent Alex Crook. Coming up on the show this time, we've got the England Lions celebrating the England Under-21 European Championship victory. It was an unbelievable, brilliant end to the game. The latest from the transfer window on the way as well as Manchester United say goodbye to David De Gea and make a move for Andre Anana. Thus, we'll continue our countdown to the Premier League season. 32 days, or 31, depending on when you're watching or listening to this, um, to the Premier League season starts. We're going to be talking to the Sheffield United manager, Paul Heckingbottom, on the show today about his plans for the new season. And we'll be discussing Liverpool and Crystal Palace as well. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. It's Alex Crook with us today. Hello, how are you? You're right. Good. Yeah, nice to see you both. As always. Good. Lovely to see you. It's nice to see that Scott Minto has taken time out of his very busy summer social schedule to be around. <laughs> He's either at some very elaborate horse racing event. He was at the Henley Regatta last week. Is there anything that you haven't been invited to? Have you been to Wimbledon yet? I'm sure you're definitely going to Wimbledon. Do you know what, Sam? I haven't even watched any of the Wimbledon. You're joking. It's been. It's been crazy. Um, the kids are already off school, or two of them are. Um, how many weeks they get off is just ridiculous. Uh, but I was at the Coral Eclipse on Saturday, as you two well know. Of course, Crooky texts me as it's raining. Oh, yeah, it's raining, but I'm sure it's a good day. And within <laughs> half an hour, the sun was shining. It was oh, beautiful. Brilliant. That's nice to see. It was a beautiful weekend, wasn't it? There was uh, quite a lot of heat around. Crook was, at, uh, uh, Crook was having a roast cooked by a chef on Sunday, and he was making a big play about it. Uh, he was having a, he was having a roast off with Adrian Durham, um, and he wouldn't. And Adrian did a really really elaborate sort of chicken roast and sent us pictures of it, and it looked magnificent. But Crook was not having that his roast was better than Crook's. Crook was like, no no, this is mine. Look at it, it's much better, it's much better. <laughs> I, I did offer a draw, but Abe wasn't having it. He, he was convinced that his was victorious. But yeah. Brilliant Sunday roast. Brilliant uh, sporting weekend as well. Watching the Ashes, obviously the under twenty ones. I watched quite a bit of Wimbledon, so enjoying the sporting summer at the moment. Yeah, I was at. What uh, was the verdict, Sam? By the way, sorry, who who won it in the end? Did you get the deciding vote? It was definitely Adrian. Um, oh. There's no doubt about it. The caramelised, honey drenched carrots were just oh, it's just something out of this world. Um, in fact, that uh, brings me on to another subject that we've still got to sort out, which is you 
taking me yes. out for lunch, which we'll sort out this week. But uh, uh, that's enough. We'll just leave it there because people don't want to know about our culinary habits too much, but they do want to know about the sporting weekend. I actually had a brilliant time at Berry. Um, a brilliant story about a club coming back together. I was also watching quite a lot of the cricket as well. Saturday night, I stood in my kitchen, crammed around a laptop, <laughs> watching the feed of the England under-21s and listening to Crook on Talk Sport. Me and my six-year-old and his uncle all waiting for the full-time whistle. We're thinking, it's done. 97 minutes. It's done. It's done. It's done. The penalty's given. My six-year-old is on the actual worktop, watching the screen, bent over, looking at it. And he turns to me with his head in his hands and he says, it's, it's not a penalty for Spain, is it? I said, it is, mate, I'm afraid. He went, no, no, we've got no chance now. Put his head in his hands. <laughs> I thought, oh, God, he's going to collapse here. And I said, hey, you never know, kid. He's a brilliant goalkeeper. Just wait, just wait. Boom, explosion of joy. He jumps off off the uh, worktop into my arms. We're dancing around the kitchen. The rest is history. Absolutely terrific. Um, let's kick things off with England's uh, young Lions. Lee Carsley's men, all champions of Europe, uh, following a 1-0 victory over Spain. Full-time whistle, 39 years of heartache, wiped away by these brave young Lions. They've come, they've seen, and they've conquered Europe once again. And Harwood Bellis is about to lift the trophy into the air that says for the first time in 39 years, England are under 21 European champions. Out come the streamers and the pyrotechnics. And this brilliant group of young players. Soak this up, take this in. Incredible group of young football players winning the European Under-21 Championships. Fully deserved. What a night, Crook. Great commentary, by the way, on the James Trafford moment. Brilliant, and he was the star of the show. But he was the star of the show not only for the last few minutes of that game, but the whole tournament. Anyone who's watched the rest of the tournament will know he's been terrific. In a, and I mentioned it last week on the pod. He's a vital cog in the wheel. Yeah, you did. You hinted that you'd get a Premier League club and we know now that that Premier League club will be Burnley. He's hot-footing it back from Georgia to undergo medical and agree personal terms. £19 million seemed a lot of money for a player who's only ever played as high as League One. He'll be the 17th most expensive goalkeeper in history. But as you say, he certainly only underlined his reputation in this tournament. Tremendous achievement. Uh, first goalkeeper ever to go through a whole under-21 Euros without conceding a goal. And, and you have to admire... England's defensive solidity, not just him, but I think Colwell and Harwood Bellish, two really talented young players in front of him. I think Colwell's got every chance of being part of the senior Euros next summer. And I think whoever gets Harwood Bellis this summer from Manchester City will be getting a good player as well. Um, Levi Colwell should be playing for Chelsea next season, Scott, but we've got quite a high indication that he would rather be playing down at the Amex Stadium for Roberto De Zerbi. How does Maurizio Pochettino convince him to stay? Well, if, if he's offers him a, a first-team start, then I think that's it. You know, However bad Chelsea were and however good Brighton were, you know, with the greatest respect to Brighton, it's a great time to be a Brighton fan and a Brighton player. If you're offered first-team football for either of those, you go for Chelsea. Simple as that. But, but will he offer it that team? That's the thing. You know, you what you got Badia Shield, you got Chalaba, you got Fafano, and you got Silva. You know, is he willing to to fight for his place? Because I don't think Poch will actually say to him, "Look, you will be a starter after what happened in in the Euros." So, 
look, is he willing to do that? Well, who's better at, than him would. out of those out of those four or five? I mean, what Thiago Silva obviously has got more experience or whatever, and he's a brilliant defender. But apart from that, are there any actually significantly better than him in that that group? I mean, after what I saw last season, I'm not entirely convinced there is. No, I think out of the, out of those five, I personally would go Baddy Shield as number one. Um, Fafana made a lot of mistakes. I think Silva can't, as as good as he's been in a Chelsea shirt, can't play in a back four. And Chalaber, I think, has done really well to come through the ranks, but I wouldn't say he's that much further than uh, than Colwell as well. So if if I were him and I really wanted to be at Chelsea and make my way at Chelsea, I'd say I'd, I'd trust myself for this particular season. He's always got another season off the back of that. But, you know, young lads or any players want first-team football here and now. So we'll have to see what Brighton offer him or, you know, in terms of first team, but also mainly what, what pot shop is in. Yeah, I watched most of the games over the uh, under-21 campaign, in fact, all of the England games. And um, the standout performers for me, not only Colwell and Harwood Bellis, who played at the heart of the defence, but uh, the two midfield boys. I mean, Angel Gomez, for me, is the standout player. But his partnership with Jones was excellent. I felt really sorry for Jacob Rams, who didn't make the final after being uh, uh, injured earlier in the competition. But at the end, the celebration sort of showed you that they, as a group, really valued his contribution. I think he's going to be a great player for Aston Villa this season. He's brilliant in his breakout season last year, but he's going to miss the first few weeks of the campaign with injury. Crookie, you watched the semi and the final for Talk Sport. Who were your standout performers over those matches? Well, I agree with you on, on Gomez. And actually, there's a lot of Manchester United fans who've been watching the tournament and suggesting maybe that they made a mistake letting him go. I, I thought he was... Excellent as that defensive shield, really tenacious, but also started a lot of attacks with his passing. Morgan Gibbs-White, I was a big fan of anyway, going into the tournament. And, and I think he he proved his worth, particularly in that semi, having missed a penalty to bounce back and then score the opening goal. But I think actually, who impressed me the most? Lee Carsley. When you look at England's record going into this tournament and A.D. Boothroyd suggesting it was an impossible job, his record is absolutely incredible. To go from... I think they only won two of their previous seven tournament matches. And to go the whole tournament, winning every game, didn't concede a goal, as we mentioned. I think Carsley, for the team spirit that he fostered as well, and I think that, you know, when they pulled out the Ramsey shirt at the end of the game, that told you everything you need to know about this this group of players. So, yeah, I think he deserves an awful lot of credit. I'm not sure he'll stay, though. I know he's, he's, he's weighing up his future, but he might just feel with a lot of these players now, Overage by the time the next tournament comes around that potentially he's taken them as far as he can. Well, I mentioned to you earlier in the week that I, I, I knew that Ireland were interested in him, certainly looking at him, um, but Premier League clubs will now be looking at him as well, mainly because of the atmosphere that he fostered, the football that his team played. Him and Ashley Cole got on very, very well. There's a lot of respect in that group. Julian Lescott was involved in that. He's definitely leaving at the end of this cycle because he wants to become a technical director somewhere else. Ashley Cole could end up being the England under-21 manager if uh, things pan out because he certainly wants to be a, uh, a manager in his own right. Uh, but Carsley himself, really, this is a big opportunity for him, isn't it? You know, Because his stock is incredibly high. He can't achieve any more with England under-21s. But... If he stays in situ for another year and ends up doing a reasonable job or just keeps things on an even keel over the course of the next 12 months, the truth is this, is that when it comes to next summer, there's probably going to be a change in terms of the England manager. Could he be the one that then steps into the breach? I, I, I think that's a big jump. I really do. Um, but, but there's no the, sort the, of outstanding... The, sa the same jump that the previous manager made. Yeah, yeah. And, and the previous manager did very well. 
I didn't, you know, I didn't see Gareth doing that. So absolutely, that that argument can be um, put forward. I, I, I'm just not so sure, but I don't, I don't think there's there's too many outstanding candidates to be honest with you at the moment. You know, I, I, is Eddie Howe going to leave Newcastle? I wouldn't. Um, Graham Potter possibly, uh, but his stock at the moment isn't as high as it could be. And if you, you know, obviously what you want is progression and. And that kind of feel that Gareth Southgate has nourished. So, look, at first thought, I'd say no. But if you look deeply into it, with the fact there's no outstanding candidates and exactly what you pointed out there, what happened with Gareth and how well I think he's done, he's definitely in the frame, but I'm not so sure. Okay, we'll see what happens uh, with him and them uh, over the course of the next 12 months or so. Let's get straight into the transfer window now because Manchester United are saying goodbye to someone who's been a massive part of the last decade. David De Gea uh, has left Manchester United after 12 years. Um, look, I mean, I think it's the right call. It's about time. I think over the course of last season, you saw that uh, his style of football, the way he plays is not conducive to what Eric Ten Hag wants to do. And if they want progression, they need someone who's better with the ball at their feet. Everyone's accepted that. That's fine. A few Manchester United fans were a little bit irate over the weekend because uh, some were suggesting that the way his departure has been handled was not befitting someone who has served the club so well. Crook, do you agree with that? To a point, I think you have to agree. 12 years is, is a long time in the modern game to be at one football club. And I think for the majority of that tenure, David De Gea has been a very good goalkeeper, certainly been a very good servant. I, I do think the timing is right. I think they need a new number one. I think the mistakes that he made, particularly the game that you two commentated at West Ham on that Sunday evening and in the cup final, highlighted that actually his star is on the wane. But I think ideally, I'd like I'd have liked United to make that decision before the final game of the season, certainly before the FA Cup final, so that De Gea did get the chance to say goodbye. On the other hand, I think it's about time United started acting like a ruthless football club, making bold, brave decisions. And this is a big decision because the easy decision would have been to allow him to sign a new contract on reduced terms and, and just keep treading water in the goalkeeping department. And that's the key point, isn't it, Scott? Because so often over the last few years, even the last decade, when you've had the those running the club that didn't have the expertise of Sir Alex Ferguson, you've now got a, a different regime behind the scenes as well as a new manager. And it, the contracts would be handed out extensions given to players who weren't competing for a first team pace regularly enough this is a sign that actually they are being a little bit more ruthless and they've got a change of direction and they know which direction that is look I, I think there's a quite a few things here with, with De Gea and the club as well I mean there's for too many times players in recent years have been given an extension of the contract when they haven't really deserved Agreed. it just because they want to try and protect the, the transfer fee and the value so, so I think that's wrong there I personally think goalkeeper, as much as in an ideal world, yes, you bring in an Anana for a De Gea. Striker was number one. They, they haven't done that as yet. And if they're going to spend £50 million on Anana, why not use that £50 plus another 50 to get a proper striker? Because I think as, as De Gea, as he hasn't been quite the form he's been in the last few years, he's not been the worst goalkeeper in the world. And he still kept loads of clean sheets as well. Just whenever he makes a, a high pro, an error, it's very high profile. Striker, midfielder, they got Mount. I, I probably would have gone for Declan Rice if I was United. And a centre-back. And then goalkeeper is number four. So, you know, if you're talking about budget, what's happening with the owners, 
we don't know how much money we've got to spend. Is goalkeeper really a, a, as important a position as, as the striker? And I would say... Well, no. Eric Ten Hag obviously you know, thinks couple, it is, and that's the way he wants to play his well, football. Obviously, he does. And, and he's the manager. And listen, you know, who am I to argue with Ten Hag? I feel they need a 20-goal-a-season striker. They get that, a Harry Kane. You get up to £100 million. I'm telling you now, even with the Hayer and goal, they're, they're in the game for, for, for going for the title. I just think there's a little bit of a lack of respect by some uh, with David De Gea. Yes, he's made mistakes and yes, he's not great with his feet. But how many years has he won Player of the Year? You know, he's been in a really poor United side over the last decade and he's saved them at times. I agree with you. He's, he, so, he's, he's, he's saved them in, in, in seasons where they've, they, they've really struggled. He's been, he's been the standout player. Scott says they need a 20-goal a season striker crook. They're moving towards trying to sign Atalanta's Rasmus Hoyland. Um, is there um, any progression on that? And is he someone who's going to get 20 goals? Well, the issue with Scott's argument, he mentioned Harry Kane there. Daniel Levy isn't selling Harry Kane to Manchester United. So the reason they didn't progress on that was because they knew that it would be a futile fight to try and win. Victor Ozyman... He ain't even going to sell him to Bayern Munich for 80, 90 million no, quid. He's listen. not going to sell him for 120 million pounds. I can tell you this as a fact. There's no way that Daniel Levy is going to allow that player to go for anything less than 130 million pounds. Listen, it's just a name that I chucked out, someone who we know as 20, 20 goal a season. But the, the point is, that's what I feel they need, whether it's Harry Kane or someone Victor Ozzyman is the other name in the frame, but £125 million for him. I think, you know, United could have gone all in on a number nine, but that would have been it. You know, we know they're operating under fairly strict financial restraints this summer because they've got FFP issues, because they've been such bad sellers over the years. And unless they can rake in some money by getting people like Maguire off the wage bill, which is easier said than done. Their budget is going to be about 120 million. So they've got Mason Mount in, they've got Anana. They're trying to work on Hoyland. As you say, I think probably Atalanta are going to have to reduce their asking price. He wants to make the move. And I'm not against the signing because this is a young up and coming player. They see has massive potential for the future. I quite like that as a direction of travel for Manchester United, because again, they've wasted so much money on trying to sign household established names that just haven't delivered. I don't mind this as a as a transfer policy. You poo-pooed me when I said they should sign Evan Ferguson. Uh, no, well, what I, what I told you was that Evan Ferguson wouldn't be sold by Brighton. But um, again, I, I wouldn't be against that. I think he's going to be a tremendous player. So you can see what Eric Ten Hag is trying to do now. And what I like about this window, Mason Mount was a move that was heavily led by Eric Ten Hag. Clearly so is Anana, and so will Hoyland. And I think that's encouraging because, let's be honest, a lot of those people above Eric Ten Hag have shown they don't know their way around around the transfer window. So leave it to the manager. Let him identify the targets. Yuri <laughs> uh, and Timber has uh, completed his move to Arsenal. Declan Rice will do so this week. Um, Max Kilman, Scott, can you imagine if you made in Head United? <laughs> Made a U-turn at Wolves. Looked like he was going to uh, Napoli. His former club, Maidenhead United, would have got a 20%, 20% sell-on clause. They must be livid. Think of all the new tracksuits they'd be able to buy, all the new gear for the training ground. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, whenever anyone says about tracksuits buy, I, I always think of Cass, Tony Cascarino. You know, he, he cost 12 tracksuits, didn't he, back in the day? <laughs> I can't remember from where to where. Um, but... But yeah, I mean, Crock and Hill. I mean, for a club like Crock and Hill, that's it, that's it. And and I'm actually going for breakfast with him tomorrow, so I'll I'll bring that up. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, listen, for a club like Maidenhead, that's them set up for the next 20 years, isn't it? So absolutely devastated. They're waiting for that move. I'm sure it will come at some point, if not this Good luck summer. to him. Let's continue our uh, countdown to the new season. Uh, we'll be shining a light on different clubs throughout the uh, course of the summer. Today, we're going to talk Liverpool and Crystal Palace. But first, a newly promoted manager joins us. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Paul Heckingbottom, hello, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning, how are you? Are you good? Yeah, we're good, thank you. Um, listen, congratulations on promotion. Um, I look from the outside looking in, it seemed from very far out that it was likely that you were going to get up into the Premier League. You and Burnley, you had such a good campaign. So, so tell me when you started planning for the Premier League and getting ready for your thoughts sort of for the, the new season. Yeah, not until the job was done. Uh, and, and that's the truth. We, um, there's so much going on last season on off the pitch that I think if we'd have taken our eye off the ball at any point and, and not carried on with the same focus for the 46 games that yeah we could have come unstuck so it was only when we beat West Brom at Bramall Lane that that yeah that the, the focus shifted a little bit and and I'm still saying a little bit because we wanted to win the remaining games we wanted to make sure that we finished strong so yeah whilst the, the season was going on we did give ourselves that luxury if you like of an extra three or four weeks where we could begin the conversations for this season. What's the current state of play with the ownership? Because there have been several reports of takeovers. None of them have got over the line. Is that impacting your ability to recruit for the Premier League? Well, not really, because we're just carrying on as if this is this is the ownership going forward. We've we've been clear on that, lots of conversations. And I think we'd be silly not to take that approach. So we're just recruiting with the budget we've been given. Um, and if anything changed, then then someone would let us know. And like I say, it, it, would, it would only change for the better. So um, we're, we're continuing what we've got, trying to recruit, um, like I said, to the plan that we've got. And then if anything changes, it'll be a, it'll be a bonus. Paul, as, as well as trying to add players this summer, how important is it that you keep hold of your star men? Because obviously Njai, I think, was attracting Premier League interest in January. Sander Berger, I believe, is on a couple of lists of Premier League clubs. Are you confident that you can keep hold of both of those? Yeah, it's, it's important. The two really good players, two really important players for us. 
Um, we're, we're all on the same page. Prince Abdullah's come out and said the same. We want to keep them. We're going to try all we can to keep them. <clears throat> the difficulty is they've gone in the last year of the contract, you know, and uh, all of a sudden then it becomes a financial issue as well. But if it's anything football, we've got, we know exactly what we get from those players. Um, they're really important to us. And, and I think they enjoy their time with us as well. We've been really good for them. So, yeah, nothing's a given. Um, we, we're determined to try and keep the boys. Um, but like we say, we know how difficult a transfer window can be. Um, so, yeah, we, we've got us fingers crossed. And, and in terms of the, the Premier League, it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a juggernaut. You look at clubs even down at the bottom of the table, the financial resources they have. How difficult is it going to be to stay there? And is, is this perhaps your biggest managerial test? Yeah, we, we know that. We, we, we're under no illusions. But we have to then focus on what we do well and, um, and our strengths. Our strengths is, is our organisation. Um, it's our team spirit. It's our will to win. So we have to make sure that we give our very best in every game. We know it's going to be difficult and we also know and we are aware that sometimes our best is not going to be good enough. Um, and that's a dynamic that you have to manage as well and make sure that no one gets disheartened even when your best is coming up short. So, yeah, but but a lot of us and, and we've got a lot of players as well who've had success in the Premier League. Um, yeah, and, and success is, is relative, isn't it? So ours is, our goals are different to Man City's, for example. But, we're determined to do well. We're determined to give a good account of ourselves. And, and like I say, I, I know that our best will cause problems for teams. We just have to make sure we, we're delivering that more often than not. A couple from me, mate. One individual, um, Ryan Brewster. You know, it didn't really happen for him last time out. He's had a lot of injuries as well. How big a season do you feel this would be for him? Yeah, he's going to get no pressure put on his shoulders from me. We... I really love the lad. He's come a long way. He's changed a lot as a person. Um, he's had a couple of really difficult seasons. We were just building our relationship, if you like, on and off the pitch in terms of what we expected from him. Um, and, and how we went about changing his game slightly to suit us and to, and to better improve him. And we were getting there. Without a doubt, we were getting there. And, and he was enjoying it. And then he's, he's had a couple of those seasons, which unfortunately some players have, where... He's just had really unlucky injuries. Um, nothing you can do about it. Got virtually to the end of, of one um, stint of rehab and, and did the same sort of injury. So he's gone through it twice, but he's been our biggest fan. He's been fantastic around the place. So, yeah, he, from a personal point of view, I'll, I'll probably be on the pitch when he scores his first goal in the Premier League <laughs> for Sheffield United. It'd be a, yeah, it'd be a good moment for, for him, without a doubt. So that's all I want. I want to see him back on the pitch, scoring goals. There's no pressure on him being the missing piece to our jigs or anything like that and, and, and as well it takes as long as it takes just to get him back fit Well someone else who might play an important part as well is Mark Hudson how pleased are you for him to be on board as a defensive coach and how much work will he be putting in during this season because it will be a tough one won't it? Yeah it'll be a tough one it, listen the dynamic and how we work we, we really uh, particularly now we work and you guys know like, the importance and the relationships that goalkeeper coaches have always had with the goalkeepers Um Something I've, I've wanted to do for a long time, but last year we really got it working where Jack Lester worked really closely with the forwards, Stuart McCall with the midfielders, and, and I was doing the defending side of it. But sometimes when you're a manager, you can't get that relationship that you, that you would get as a coach. So, yeah, I, I was lucky we had a lot of experience in the, back lad, in, the, in the lads in the back line. So they weren't too upset if I'd had a go at them on a Saturday and then Monday morning I'm chatting to them again, you know. But sometimes... That's really important that they do feel they've got someone to turn to. Um, and now we've got 
Mark coming in, who's got the experience of playing through the levels, got the experience of managing. So again, where I'm really looking now, I've got Jack who's managed, Stuart who's managed and, and Mark who's managed. So that, that's big for me as well and, and the support that I get from them. And that experience is really important, isn't it? Because you've had uh, a career that's taken you to Barnsley, to Leeds, to Hibs. You've had ups, you've had downs. How much better a manager are you coming into the Premier League now for all of those experiences that you've had? Yeah, 100%. I think you'd, you'd struggle not to learn and improve with, with the experiences that you get. And, and I've been fortunate with how football's changed so much off the pitch in the last 10 years, 15 years, but particularly the last 10 the different ownership groups I've worked with, the different personalities, where they're located all across the world poses its own challenges, well, logistically, when you're trying to influence and work together. So I, I've been, for, and I see it as fortunate, I've been fortunate in a way to work with so many different ownership groups, boards, everybody works differently. Um, but it does equip you with the skills, I think, if you like, to, to, uh, to not panic and, and be able to still do your job whilst um, working closely with, with a board and different owners. And, and that is a skill that, that any manager will tell you you've got to have. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, yeah. like I say, I, I take it as being lucky. Maybe, maybe in times when it's not been going so well, I haven't considered it as lucky. But when you look back, um, I'm certainly a different person at work than what I was a few years ago. Who are your mentors, Paul? Which, which you know, managers do you sort of seek advice from? There's been lots. Listen, there's been lots. I've got lots of I've got three, like I said, in the staff here, which has been good. Um Listen, I've been down seeing Roy. I spoke to Roy Hodgson a few times. We actually play him, obviously, the first game of the season. Outside football, Tony Smith, rugby league manager who's, who's at Hull. Um, yeah, lo- lots of different people who, again, when you're in the company, you'd be foolish not to tap them up. But I think if you if you get a little bit closer than that and, and they're happy enough to, to, to be helping you out, then you've got to tap into it. You've got to... Uh, I think experience is a big one. Me and what I get, from speak to people who've had a lot of experiences, different experiences, is um, you, you tend to deal with things with a lot more of a calmness. Um, and, and like I said, that's probably the biggest thing I see in, in say, a Roy with, with the amount of things that he's gone through. Um, and then when I relate back to myself, like in all those different experiences, you are calmer in moments when you'd probably have exploded and talked yourself out of the job, you know? So, yeah, it, I think with, it's all part of the experiences, time that you, you're doing the job and then I think you can speed that learning up by speaking to the guys who've been through it and done it before. Uh, for me, Hecky, the, the key word is experience and, you know, your experience now and you, you just talked about how you got managers as coaches as well. It's going to be such a contrast season to last, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Where you, you're on that winning run, you, you, the confidence is there. Sometimes it's just about ticking over. Now... It's about trying to get to double figures in terms of wins and actually you're going to be losing more games than, than, than you'll be winning. So, so how do you approach that? And do you say anything to the lads in pre-season as you're building up to the start of the season? Yeah, well, listen, I think our, our approach is to be as win, win as many games as possible. I don't think we're going to be talking about just aiming for 17th. And I think there's only one place you can go if you fall short then. You know, we, we, we want to be take the same style... Um, way of playing brand of football if you like into the Premier League we know it's going to be more difficult we know we're not going to win as many games but we're going to try you know so that that is the approach without a doubt again one of the things that were in the uh, in the Premier League season when Chris left and I took over for a little while that was um, if I hadn't have had those experiences that we've been speaking about that was stepping into a breach where yeah I came to work for Chris he'd been the leader of this club and driving it and the place was flat it was dead 
Um, so we're not in that position, you know. So in terms of where where we sit right now, we're in a much better position than that moment in time, the last time I was in the Premier League, for example. So, yeah, we, we're looking forward to it. We think we're in a good place. We're going to do all we can in this window. This window is going to be massively important for us. Um, and we have to work as hard as we can, as quickly as we can to get in the players. So to give us the best chance of, of, of winning and getting points out that first game against Palace. Now, just uh, one more before we let you go. You've got Palace on the opening weekend of the season. It's a home game, which is great because Bramwell Lane's always terrific uh, when it's thronging. Uh, you've got Nottingham Forest, which is live on Talksport. We're doing your game against, uh, I think, we've against uh, Tottenham Hotspur, which is upcoming at the beginning of uh, mm-hmm. September as well, uh, live on uh, Talksport. So we're looking forward to coming to Bramwell Lane again. Um, pre-season, how important are these 30 days now in between now and the start of the campaign and what are your key messages that you've got to get across to ensure that your players are ready for that kickoff big kickoff day on the 12th of august yeah so these these days now are really important today's the first day we've got all our players back like together because of the boys who played international duty our messages are the same in terms of how we want to work, what we do well, but there's still areas we need to improve, but we want to really make sure that what we do well, can we do it even better? And then the recruitment's big. And the message to the players and the staff is when, our, when the new players come into our building and start working with us, they have to feel what we're about straight away. Um, our standards are high, we work hard, and we've got a way that we want to play, which may be slightly different to some players. Um, but we want them to feel it and experience it as quickly as possible so we can get them adapted to to what we want to do. Um, and likewise, we can also speed that up by recruiting the right players. If we, if we get players with the characteristics we want, then that process should be a little bit easier. Paul, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Good luck for the season. We'll follow you keenly. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Cheers. That's Paul Herkingbottom, the Sheffield United manager. <laughs> Let's talk Liverpool now. And we spoke about Liverpool's midfield recruitment last week, um, that they've signed Shaboshlai and McAllister. And they've signed a Greco-Roman wrestler from the pictures <laughs> that I've seen on Instagram. Jordan uh, Henderson, or Jordan Tiberius Titan Henderson, as he looks like after a summer's worth of training, looks as if he's going to be fit for action, doesn't he, Scott? I'll tell you what, mate, he's been genetically blessed, hasn't he? You don't, I mean, his, his body fat is not just single figures. It's like 0.9 or something like that. Is He's looking well. I wonder how many photographs took uh, to, to get that. But no, are you suggesting he, airbrushing? He, he, You're not suggesting airbrushing, are you? No, I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm honestly not. I'm just jealous. He, he looks brilliant. And, and that's fantastic for Liverpool because he is an absolute leader. And I don't think they had enough leaders, you know, last season. It'd be interesting to see how the 11 and how the squad is. But in terms of when the chips are down, especially away from home, you need a Jordan Henderson, whether it's in the side starting or whether it's, you know, on the bench, in the dressing room, or just on a daily basis, keeping those standards high. So uh, I think that bodes well for, for both Jordan, his missus and the club <laughs> yeah. as well. Fascinating to see what happens with him because he was linked earlier in the window with a, uh, a link up with uh, Saudi Arabia. But I don't think that's on his agenda now, that's for sure. Um, what happens with Trent Alexander-Arnold next season then, Crook? I mean, I can see this sort of, form- I mentioned it last week, actually. I can see this sort of midfield formulating in my mind now with Trent Alexander-Arnold wandering into midfield, Fabinho, Henderson, Shaboshlai, McAllister. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we saw um, towards the end of the season with Liverpool and during the internationals with England as well that Trent Alexander-Arnold is, is more than capable of doing that sort of hybrid John Stones role and probably given his defensive 
deficiencies. That's his best position. I, I'm intrigued by this this Liverpool summer. Um, I think Alexis McAllister is a good player. I don't think he's a great player at this moment in time. And I think the same can be said of Saboslai. We know that Kevin Hatchard on this podcast is a, a big fan of his, but he's a big fan of everything that comes out of Germany. But I don't think he's the finished article yet either. So do I think those two... He thinks that uh, Bratverse could do a great job in the Premier League. <laughs> do I think those two signings are, are necessarily transformative for Liverpool? I'm not so sure. But then you look at their form at the end of the season and you think, well, if they can kick that on, then they're going to be challengers anyway. No, I think McAllister's a really good yeah. signing. I thought he was the second best player in, in the team that won the World Cup. And, you know, he's just got better and better as the season goes on, uh, as, as, as the years have gone on. So I think he's a really good signing. In terms of Trent, well, it was different to what he played for England. For England, he was an actual midfielder. You know, for Liverpool, he's, he's that hybrid as, as, you know, Pep's done with a lot of his fullbacks as well. So I'd be interested to see whether he does that I think he will because I think Liverpool generally speaking have more possession and when you have more possession you can you can step in but you know for England in the big games he's not going to be playing right back you know that I think they're almost two different positions or, or thought patterns from the manager but it, it, one will definitely play and two will continue to do that hybrid uh, position as he did the end of um, the let's talk about another player I think is going to have a good season next season and it's Darwin Nunez if you look at his expected goals tally and his actual goals tally last year I mean he could have ended up with 30 to be honest with you he missed a lot of chances um, his debut campaign wasn't perfect there's no doubt about that there were problems with a bit of fitness there was the issue after the Crystal Palace game when he was banned because he got a little bit uh, het up. And next season, I've got this feeling he's going to have a really good campaign. Scott, is that how you view him? Well, look, you know what I, I think of him. I, I saw him at Benfica. I thought he was superb. He He's a defender's nightmare. You know, he's big, he's strong, he's powerful. He can play as a number nine, but he can come off the left as well. I think, yeah, he lacked a bit of confidence at times. You know, it's a big money move. There's a lot of pressure. And obviously, with the likes of Erling Haaland just scoring for fun, I think that comparison was slightly unfair, but I'm hoping he'll come through it. I, I think he's got all the attributes to it. There's no doubt about it. His finishing wasn't good enough last season, but maybe that just is a confidence thing. So if he starts off well, I can see him scoring 20 goals plus. Uh, and just a one-word answer. Top four for Liverpool, yes or no? Yeah, I think so. Yes. <laughs> Crystal Palace surprised many when they turned to Roy Hodgson to save their Premier League campaign last time out. They've surprised a few more by giving him another year contract and keeping him on for next season too. Is that the right call for you, Alex? Tough. I mean, I, I guess you have to ask if you're Crystal Palace, what are your aims and ambitions for the season? Because I think what Roy Hodgson guarantees you is that you're not going to get relegated. And I think probably... That has to be the first priority for Palace. Is he going to turn you into a, a top seven, top eight side? No, but then I think without big financial backing, any manager would struggle to do that. We know the players like him. They they re-recruited Sean Derry as part of his backroom staff. That was a ridiculous decision from Patrick Vieira to get rid of a Crystal Palace legend anyway, and probably was the beginning and the end for him. So I'm in favour of that. Obviously, they've got injury problems with Elise, I think, is it, who's going to miss the start of the season. Wolf Zaha still training with Crystal Palace. They're still hopeful that he'll sign a new contract. I think Roy Hodgson being there helps in that regard because we know that Wolf's got a lot of respect for Roy. So, yeah, listen, if I was a Palace fan, I wouldn't be disappointed with the appointment. The interesting question is, does he carry on with that sort of free-flowing football that we saw at the end of last season? Or given that he's got a whole Premier League campaign to navigate, 
does he revert to type? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, with Wilfred Zaha, I suppose the biggest question here is is whether or not he decides to take this big offer from Saudi because ultimately they've offered him 16 million quid after tax, but there's a bit of a bit of friction about whether or not his advisors want a bigger slice of that. Um, one thing that Roy Hodgson did brilliantly last year was getting Elise and Eze to finish the season as well as they did, Scott. And if he can tap into that over the course of the season, then we can see a better footballing style from, from Crystal Palace and everyone will be happy. But there's no getting away from the bare facts of the case. This is not a long-term appointment for Crystal Palace, is it? No, and, and I'm with Crookie with his answer. You know, it was a, it, it's a very short-term thing. You know, if you want Crystal Palace to stay in the Premier League, then you have Roy Hodgson. And actually, I've said to you this on this pod before, every season that you have um, Crystal Palace is in the Premier League, then then that is a positive. But if he, I think he should start with that kind of attacking play. I love Eber Eze, what he did, and his story as well, coming up through the ranks and being released by so many clubs. If you've got him and Elise, I don't know what's going to happen with Zaha, but go attacking and he can always revert to that defending Roy if things don't work out. But I think it's very much a short-term thing. It's not really looking for the future and looking for four or five-year contract players. But as I say, it's about Palace being in the Premier League and I think there will be at the end yeah, of the next season. Uh, I think uh, a lot of uh, people were proved wrong when Roy Hodgson came in at the end of the season and pretty much saved Crystal Palace. And look, I was one of those who was a bit disappointed that Patrick Vieira lost his job. He's back in football. He's at Strasbourg now. And I think Paul Nevin's going there with him as well, which means there's a few vacancies at West Ham United. Scott, assistant manager, fancy that? I, I, I'm, listen, I'm just agreed um, to work more games with you. I've noticed I this. I've I'm, noticed this. I'm clearly. I've noticed this. I'm clearly a masochist. So um, you know, no. I'm First few games of the way. season, Matterface and Minto, I've seen, which is good. And looking forward to it. Um, exactly. I would say the dream team, but it's, it's not. <laughs> it might be. Uh, Scott, thank you very much. Uh, Crookie, thank you very much. That's it from us. We are back every Monday throughout the summer with more latest transfer news, managerial changes and a lot more. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.